So many places I want to start this afternoon's episode of the Sports Pen. I could start with the bizarre and terrifying health scare that the Detroit minor league system is going through right now. I could talk about the prosecution, the federal case that's going on against Arizona basketball. I could talk about why the Cleveland Indians are one of the most inept franchises in all of sports. We could uh, do that. We are going to do that here in the next hour. But I learned today that you can have a May without snow on the ground up here. Man, I was honestly, I'm from the UP, and that honestly kind of shocked me last night uh, for the fact that, you know, it was snowing in May. And um, you just never really know when the weather is going to actually turn here in the UP. It could be, obviously, you know, just with your short time up here. Could be 60 one day and be snowing the next. So nothing really surprises me anymore. But that was kind of shocking. I don't know. Into May is kind of it's kind of questionable. Yeah, I mean there is no predicting the weather. It seems I've heard there's snow on the ground in June, or there has been before. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised by much anymore. It is good to have the sun out, not necessarily warm, but it's it's nice. It's comfortable, I guess, outside. I enjoy this a lot better as we flip the calendar to May and finally get a snowy day to go with it. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you on the sports pen. we got a lot to break down this hour, but I do have to say the Minnesota Twins are the best team in baseball. I they win you, again today. I don't know if you called it, but you were you were saying, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a good year for I, the Twins. They I win again. You know, it's still early, but, I mean, you're looking pretty good right now. They are. They increased their playoff percentage chances by about 35-something percent. Man, I haven't been this optimistic. The Twins have the best record in baseball for the first time in how long? I mean, how? when was the last time we could say it this late in the season? Minnesota is good. They won today 8-2. They beat the Astros in the series, and I believe they have the best record in all of baseball as it is right now. If the Cardinals lose to the Nationals, which is going to start in about three minutes, then I know they have it for sure. I think they have it right now. But, man, this is a good time to be a Twins fan. Also, big date in Twins history. Today is the 18th year anniversary of the Chuck Nowblock Dollar a Dog game. Have you ever heard about that? I have not. They, uh, you know, Chuck Nowblock was a fantastic player for the Twins. They drafted him first round back in 1989. He spent almost a decade with Minnesota, won a World Series with them in 1991. But there were some pretty bad teams in the late 90s. Minnesota wasn't competitive. Nowblock was a perennial all-star, but the team was bad, and it was frustrating him. And he's a guy that was extremely emotional, wore his heart on his sleeve, what have you. Eventually, he demanded that he would be traded. And the Twins obliged. They ended up sending him to the Yankees. He went on to have a lot of success there, winning three more championships. But the fans, it left a bad taste in their mouth. As great of a baseball player as he was, he was a pretty unlikable guy. You know, two domestic assault arrests, history of steroid problems. He rubbed people the wrong way. And certainly when he asked to be traded by the Twins, that rubbed Twins fans the wrong way. So when he goes to the Yankees, he was a second baseman. Then his defense faltered toward the end of his career. They moved him to left field. The cheapest tickets in the Metrodome in 2001 were the left field bleacher seats. And it just so happened to be dollar a dog night. You know where I'm going with this. It, yep. You could get a couple of beers, a handful of hot dogs, and a left field ticket for about 20 bucks on a given night in 2001. Now Block takes his position in left field. And here come the flying hot dogs. And it actually happened twice in the game, and they had to clear the field. It was about a 12-minute delay. It was, uh, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but it's it's a notable moment in Twins history. 18 years ago that happened. 
I mean, that's that's a little <laughs> bit of karma, you know, the universe coming back around at you. Um, you know, when when you're not a likable guy and you demand to get traded, obviously you gotta think about coming back to your original team and. Um, I mean, that's just a shame that it lined up for him anyways, but it would have been interesting to be in the, the stadium when that was going down or even in that, that segment and, uh, you know, that section of seats. I think that would have been pretty pretty interesting. I wonder what uh, some of those fans are saying to him throughout the game. Talk about, you know, that would be tough to stay focused and right. do your job. Well, you think about it and who would be purchasing some of the cheaper tickets, probably college students, some rowdy guys. And you gotta believe there was alcohol involved, oh, and yes, <laughs> and you know they were cheap tickets, and hot dogs were only a dollar. So bad night to have dollar a dog night with now black in left field. But I tell you what, we have got plenty to break down of our own here in the next hour or so, and I want to start with this bizarre health scare that has been going around through the Tigers minor league system. I want to clarify: this is not new news. We knew that this happened back in 2017. That there was a particular host family in Comstock Park, just north of Grand Rapids here in Michigan. They uh, were a host family for the West Michigan Whitecaps, a Class A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers. It came out that this family's water source was tainted with PFAs, which is a uh, pathogen that has been known to cause ulcers, liver damage, thyroid disease, and certain types of cancer. And this host family that was hosting players in the Detroit Tigers system had their water supply tainted with it. So 25 guys went through this system, including Nick Castellanos, who's at the big level right now. For He's the only one that we know of currently on the Tiger roster. But why it's making news is because, one, there's a class action lawsuit going against uh, the company they believe to be responsible. They believe it's a landfill that had uh, their runoff ended up poisoning this, not poisoning, but tainting this family's water system. But it's becoming relevant again. It's trending because now we're starting to learn the identities of these players involved, Nick Castellanos being one. Only five of the 25 have been uh, released as public knowledge, but as of right now, we know that there are 25 guys at least that spent time in this family's home, and they're not showing symptoms. They're not showing any anything medically, at least right now, that would cause them to... Uh, have a lot of alarm, concern, what have you. But a lot of them weren't in this. I don't think this family had any particular player more than five months at a time. Minor league baseball, you're getting called up, you're moving around. But this family, who knows how long they've been consuming this water. And so far, there's no reported ill health effects on them either. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, that's that's tough when you have... For about seven years, they were hosting players, and you think about every time you took a drink of water or took a shower or ate something that was cooked in water, it, it's it's scary. And I'm thankful that at least right now, there are no known ill side effects to it. Right. Um, you know, just reading one of the articles on this whole situation, it said the leading toxicologists who are specialized in um, the the water contamination and stuff like that said if any, they're not 100% sure. Um, you worry a little bit more about the family. I think that was my first thought because obviously these players are coming in and out. They're just trying to do a good thing, host these players, and you know, um, help these players as they they're moving through the the minor league systems. Um, but as long, I guess you know, as long as no players are showing any any signs of any cancers or things like that, or any ties to possibly drinking the water, it's it's kind of just like. What do you do right now? You, right. you know, you could maybe go get get checked up, but 
um, it's kind of like a thing if, if, if you got to kind of wait it out and see, if, you know, down the line if anything comes up. But um, just hearing the players talk about it, some of the players, they kind of are just like, you know, it is what it is. You know, as long as nothing's goofy right now, what can you really do? You kind of just got to move on. You know, obviously they want to get that fixed. But, yeah, you kind of feel more for the families who've been living um, in the house for years. And, you know, they interviewed the family. They were talking about, um, you know, we raised our kids here. Our kids were drinking the water and things like that. So that's kind of scary. Um, so, I mean, but right now it's kind of just like a wait-and-see type of thing. But, uh, you know, it it, it it's it, it happens. Um I was out in California in the house I was staying at. You, you didn't want to drink the water because mm-hmm. of, of the contamination in Southern California, out in the desert. Um, and, you know, they had to go to the store and get water and things like that. Showering was kind of sketchy for a little while and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's scary when you talk about tap water because I'll, I'll go to my house and I'll drink water right out of the faucet without mm-hmm. out even thinking twice, you know what I mean, or showering and things like that. So um, it's definitely something that's kind of scary that, that could happen to you, um, talking about not having clean water when you think it is. Castiano said he's going to privately investigate the effects of PFAs and he's going to decide for himself what his best option is going forward as far as treatment or if any medical concerns should arise down the road, but really didn't want to comment on it any further. But scientists tested this water, this contaminated water source, and they found that the PFAs measured more than 250 times what the FDA deemed safe. That's insane to think about. And it's honestly nothing short of a miracle that there are no ill health effects presenting themselves for anybody involved so far right exactly um especially when you talk about you know the research that's been done and things like that um with just how many people have gone through there to have not one case maybe to me it's kind of like okay is there anything actually wrong with this but um yeah they said the long-term effects you know they're not sure if there's any long-term effects um, and things like that so I don't know. It, I would be kind of – I don't know if I'd be upset if I was one of the players because, honestly, the family couldn't really do anything about it. Um, they didn't know that their their water was contaminated. It's scary. Uh, you know, obviously, when you talk about something that could have long-term effects on your health or, or you know, any time you hear the word cancer or something like that is, is scary. But um, it's, just a, it's just a really bad situation that unfortunately happened, and I'm glad they got it figured out and, and found out about the, the contamination. Um, it's just unfortunate so many players went through that house. Well, I tell you what, we are a couple days away from the Kentucky Derby, the 145th running, pivoting to horse racing before we go to the break. And we had some breaking news yesterday, shortly after we signed off. Omaha Beach, who was the odds-on favorite to win the Derby this year, dropped out just three days ahead of the race, now two due to a breathing problem. The last time this big of a favorite dropped out of the Kentucky Derby, was 10 years ago in 2009 when I Want Revenge, a 3-1 to one favorite to win, was scratched on the morning of the race. And you think about all the bets that go into this thing and all the money that's going to be going through Louisville. This is a this is a major shakeup that we haven't seen in a decade. Right. When I think of the Kentucky Derby, the first thing I think about is horse betting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big thing. It's, it's a huge thing for gamblers. I just don't, I wonder how that works. You know, if the horse drops out, does the bet, obviously the bet's off, right? Right. So do you just get your money back? Is that how that works? I don't really know. I know they've adjusted the lines, but I don't know how that works with placing your bet. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's unfortunate, especially when you talk about a favorite going out. Uh, you know, whoever's up second, I don't. I, I didn't really look into to who's favorited after that, uh, after Omaha. But, um, 
yeah, when you talk about betting and things like that, you obviously want your best horses running and your favorite to stay in, and um, that's not good for the Kentucky Derby. Who, you know, obviously this happens just once a year, so it, it's not good. I tell you what, the last time this happened, if it's any indication, or at least the last time something similar to this happened again, 2009, that year we saw one of the biggest long shot victories in the history of the Derby when Mind That Bird, who closed at 50 to 1 odds to win, ended up winning the whole thing. This year they are competing for $3 million. That's the largest grand prize in Kentucky Derby history. So I don't know if that's any indication how this year's race is going to go. It really is one of the most exciting two minutes in all of sports. All right. You know, I wonder if the horses are talking to each other saying, hey, you know, the favorite's out. This has opened up. <laughs> it's opened up a lot for us, you know, horses that aren't favorite here. So maybe maybe it'll shoot them some confidence knowing that that, that horse isn't, isn't in. I don't know. Do they speak to each other? Who knows? They have some way to communicate, I'm sure. Right. I, would, I don't know. Uh, you think about the racers, too, because Mike Smith is one of the better jockeys in the country. And now he's out of horse. You know, that was the horse he was going to raise. Mm-hmm. You've got a really good jockey. It's essentially a free agent, but there's nothing open. Yeah, and that's unfortunate for him. I mean, what can you really do, though, mm-hmm. um, especially when you talk about a day, the day before? Um, but that's part of the sport, obviously. You, the, keeping the horse healthy is is something that, um, as a team, you want to – that's obviously number one priority. So um, it's just unfortunate that the horse has to has to deal with this, and we won't be able to see it. Uh, reach, you know, maybe it's full potential. Tell you what, we owe you a timeout when we come back. Yesterday left no shortage in storylines from the NHL and NBA playoffs. Plus, we preview tonight's matchups next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. You're listening to Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you. Thanks for hanging out with us in your Thursday afternoon. Well, I tell you what, about everything that could go wrong did for the Denver Nuggets last night. Now, keep in mind that Damian Lillard had 14 points on 5 of 17 shooting. They did a good job on him. Unfortunately, they still lost. Uh, to me, I mean, as good of a job as they did defensively on Damian Lillard, it wasn't enough to keep the Blazers from winning 97-90 and evening that series at 1-1. Denver loses home court advantage. They lose at home inside the Pepsi Center. Uh, so you look at actually some of the numbers, and I'm kind of surprised that the score turned out the way it did. Lillard, 14 points, 5 of 17 shooting. It wasn't a great night for him. Denver had a 23-7 to edge in offensive rebounds. I mean, that right there makes you think they got to have won this game. But C.J. McCollum had other ideas. He goes off for 20 points, and Portland shows how dangerous they can be. Yeah, I, I tuned in a little bit in the second half last night, and I think Denver, I think it was in the third quarter, they were out-rebounding uh, Portland 12 to nothing at the time mm-hmm. um, in that third quarter. But they weren't finishing, you know, I mean, they were getting second-chance points, but, I mean, for the most part, they weren't finishing consistently. Um, but anytime you, if you're Denver and you go into the game knowing that if Lillard scores as much as he did, you'd feel pretty good about your chances. Unfortunately, um, it just didn't didn't happen. I think Denver, there's been times where Denver relies too much on late heroics by guys like Murray, mm-hmm. Jamal Murray. He was injured last night. I don't know how serious of an injury he is, but he was hobbled. 
Musaba last night, and it just didn't seem like they were really in rhythm. Jokic was was missing bunnies in front of the rim and things like that. But um, Ains Cantor had a, a pretty nice game. You know, he was he was down there fighting, battling, even though he was getting out rebounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just they just ha- they have those guys stepping up. You know, obviously with Lillard, I think Lillard was more of a floor general last night. Um, but it, I'm surprised by this Portland team because. I wasn't really expecting a lot out of them. I thought the Thunder were going to beat Portland. You know, they had a, they've had some diff, uh, disappointing exits in previous years uh, under the leadership of Lillard and McCollum, and you're kind of wondering could could they get it done? But I mean, these guys talk about a nice one-two punch. You want to show me a better backcourt other than these two guys? I mean, you know, these guys are arguably the best backcourt in the NBA. So, um, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, Portland has a lot of guys that can beat you. They went in, they stole a game, and and right now, I think Portland has the edge in this series. I don't see why they can't go home and and take care of business. I don't know. I just I just don't believe. I just don't trust. I just don't have any any trust in in Denver right now. I, I don't know. I felt like that was going to be a must win for Denver if they want to control this series. But now it's all in Portland's hands, and I wouldn't be shocked to see Portland win the series. But I tell you what, neither team shot the ball well from three last night. Here's a big stat, though, a big reason why Denver. Ended up losing last night's game at the free throw line. They were 16 of 26. You can't do that in a single digit game. Yeah, exactly. If they hit, you know, what they lost by seven. Yeah, they lost by lost by seven. You hit your free throws, you win the game. But I mean, basketball. You know, there's things you got to do. You got to be able to play defense. You got to rebound. You got to pass the ball. You got to be able to hit shots. You got to hit your free throws. Those are just those are points given to you, and um, especially down in in the playoffs, you got to you got to hit those shots, man. Because each game, for the most part, especially when you're talking about in the semis and and moving forward, these games are going to be really close. You know, they're going to be decided by just a few points, just a few plays, and and you know how to hit the free throws. Those are free points. You got to take them. Um, and, and you know, it it, it it was the the Achilles heel of, of the Nuggets last night. I tell you what, who schedules these NBA playoff series? Like they don't they play again tomorrow night? Don't they have game three tomorrow? Yet, like the Rockets and Warriors, they don't play till Saturday. It's like they have to walk to Houston for that series. Is why they schedule five days in between. James Harden bothered with his eyes; he can go get eye surgery in that amount of time and still be ready for game three. Yeah, I'm not not really too sure how how they decide it. um, To be honest with you, but. Um, you talk about, you know, that could be an advantage for certain teams. And mm-hmm. that it must be a travel thing, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, that's the only you reason gotta I get, you gotta think, get, but you it gotta doesn't get, make sense. you got to get to the city. you got to have at least one day of practice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't know how they, I don't know how they pick it. I know, like, it's probably strategic to have games. Almost try to have it as many nights as you can to have at least one game, maybe, as we go forward. It could be a TV scheduling Maybe thing, it's like a yeah. TV thing. A media thing. By the way, speaking of media and the NBA playoffs, you can hear tomorrow night's Boston-Milwaukee Game 3 right here on ESPN-UP. We're going to carry the ESPN broadcast. Mark Kestisher will be on the call. You can hear it here on ESPN-UP if you're not able to get to a TV and see it. But I'd recommend either. Can't go wrong with either because uh, it's going to be good basketball. going to be must-watch basketball. Tonight's going to be a pretty good one, too, in the Eastern Conference. The Raptors visit the 76ers. That series tied at a game apiece. Tip-off set for 8 o'clock. Current odds say Toronto, and I would have to agree. I'm going to pick Toronto to win this game at Philadelphia. A few things have become clear. It's Jimmy Butler's team this postseason. It's not Joel's anymore. It is They're better when Jimmy Butler is their best player. And they need it to be exactly like Game 2. They need the rest of the series to be like that, and that's low-scoring 
I mean, if the Raptors get to 100, it's over. I mean, this series is essentially first to 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I like Philly in the series, to be honest. To be honest, um, well, if they can defend well enough, they could win it. They're right, talented. Right. I, I, I just feel like Embiid in front of their home crowd. I feel like Simmons has to get a little bit more involved. Um, don't shoot. But don't get, shoot. But get involved. Um, like we said, Jimmy Butler. He's. I've never been a huge fan of Jimmy Butler. He's been like portrayed as like a superstar player, but it's I, every time I watch him, I'm just, I'm just not impressed. I know. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he needs to get going. I think Redick is going to be better. Um, as you know, one of those snipers, uh, the shooters and things like that. Um, and Tobias Harris obviously has to be huge as well. But I think in front of their home crowd, we're going to see a different Philadelphia team. Um, I don't know. I just there's something about Philly. I just like I think Embiid's the, the best player on the uh, Kawhi's right there. But Embiid, when he's on, he's he's really unstoppable. So uh, I I just like the the combination of of those stars in Philly to to over. Shad. I, I don't trust Kyle Lowry as well. Mm-hmm. It's another guy that I think kind of crumbles in the playoffs, similar to how James Harden is doing right now. But, um, yeah, I think I think Philly has it, man. I, I don't know. I have no idea how to say his name, like Siakam or something, but he's had a Siakam. good playoff run. He's, he's, yeah. a, he's a, been key for Toronto. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's kind of saw him. Um, stepping up, and I kind of thought it was – I didn't think it was, like, real at first. Like, I, I heard him, ha- like, during the regular season having some pretty – Yeah, like, pretty, all for Right, I'm, I'm just like – it was just, like, a, in the, the the notes, like, oh, he had he had 20, what? Who's yeah. this guy? I was like, whatever, just must have been just a good game, his best game probably. All of a sudden, he's like, okay, he dropped, like, 30? Like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Who is this guy? And then he had, I think, like, a 40-point game. The guy can ball, and I'm, obviously he's going to be a huge part. That kind of gives them that other score – He's like a guy that the Detroit Pistons need to find. Mm. You know what I mean? Someone that could come in fit. and score. He'd be a huge fit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously his production is going to be key for, for Toronto. I just – I don't know. I just like – I like the Philadelphia team. Obviously, coming into the year, you kind of wondered if, if that was going to work, if they were going to have that chemistry. I think they're finding it a little bit. And if, if Jimmy Butler can be that guy and and score the ball consistently, I don't see why they can't win. I just feel like their success in this series depends on how well they can defend and how well they can slow down the potent Raptor offense. that can space the floor. Nick Nurse, he brings in a strategy, and it's impressive in his first year as a head coach. His game plan has been evolving all season. I mean, he can morph his team to fit whatever mold that he believes will beat whoever they're playing. I don't think you can underestimate that. And I know Philly needs their defense to, you know, they held Toronto to 89 in game two. They need to do that for the rest of the series to give themselves a chance. And I just don't think they have the the ability to stop Kawhi Leonard, Lowry, Siakam, all those Toronto weapons that that consistently. I just can't see Philadelphia winning it. At some point, Toronto's offense, to me, the upside is better than Philadelphia's defense, and that is going to show up at some point. I could, I could see it too. You know, Philly's a lengthy team. They are. I mean, Butler. I, I thought he was a good defender. Was I? Am I wrong? No. I think uh, in his throughout his career, he's a pretty good defender. So I feel like why do if Jimmy Butler can get in and, and kind of you know say, hey guys, we got to defend. We got to we got to play some defense. You know, you have Ben Simmons, who's a lengthy guy at the point. Um, I wonder what Toronto's three-point shooting. Why don't you just play a zone? You know what I mean? Like, why not? It, but you got length. Tobias Harris is lengthy. Um, it, it's all about helping, man. It's it's the basic fundamentals of, of basketball. It's it's digging deep and playing 
um, you know, finding that motivation, I think in front of their home crowd, I think we're going to see it tonight. Whenever I think of Ben Simmons, I think about that scene from Hoosiers where he sends in the really tall kid and says, don't shoot unless you're by yourself all alone underneath the basket. Like, he, he I don't know cannot what hit from the outside. I know. I don't know what happened. Like, coming into the year, I was like, Ben Simmons is a monster. You know, he's a beast. No one can stop this guy. But then I really started to understand, like, how bad he really is mm-hmm. at shooting. It's just, it's crazy. You know, the only time he scores is when he's just dunking the ball or, you know, getting an offensive board. But, yeah, I mean, the, my outlook on him has just completely changed. It's been really weird. But, yeah, he needs to work on a shot if they want to have any success. Do I, do I think Philly – do I think Philly – will win the championship this year. I don't, but I do feel like they need to at least make an Easter Conference Finals this year. Can you imagine if Ben Simmons played like 20 years ago? They'd think of him as a god. Like he'd be built for that era of basketball. Right, because you look at the, the film from back in the day, no one could really shoot back then. No. People were just tossing up bricks. Um, but layups were, were a huge thing. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he's just in a in – a ba- I think he's, like, in a bad generation because mm-hmm. he really can't shoot. Him especially Andre Drummond. The whole, yeah, exactly. So – there you go. Um, especially when the whole league's revolve or evolving around revolving around shooting now, it's it's insane. Tell you what, uh, let's switch to the NHL here quick before we go to break. The Carolina Hurricanes take a commanding three nothing series lead with a five two win over the Islanders last night. A three goal third period sparks Carolina. Tivo Teravainen scored twice. He's now got five goals this postseason. Curtis McElhaney, I love this guy. He will turn thirty six years old three weeks from today. Last night officially became the oldest goalie in NHL history to start a playoff game, and he just records 28 saves. So helps his team get within one game of moving on to the conference final. This is his final final stand. It probably is. You know what I mean? How many times is he going to get back in this stage? He, uh, Carolina hasn't been to this, at least this far. They haven't been to the conference finals since 2006 when they won it all. They won the cup that year. Haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. They were a wild card team coming into this season, uh, this postseason, I should say. And look at them now. They might do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, they seem to have the chemistry going and, and the confidence. So I don't see why they can't, they can't really. And you never really know in these playoffs. These, these NHL playoffs have been absolutely absurd, um, very unpredictable. So, I, I mean, if they were to do it at any year, why not this year? The NHL will lose their minds if Carolina and Columbus play in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I honestly feel like why not? I mean, why that's, not? That's the, you know, people are tuning in. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a very, you know, I watch hockey, but I'm not like every night following a hockey team, mm-hmm. especially when Detroit's not in it. But even I want to tune in to see yeah. some of this because it's it's interesting. It's 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 real, and you know teams are stepping up that you you don't expect. There's a lot of parity right now, and and I think that's good for the NHL. Here's the honorable mention for stat of the day. I have something else later on in the show that I like better. But Islanders goaltender Robin Leonard has never beaten the Hurricanes in his career. He's 0-7 lifetime against Carolina, which makes me think this could very easily be a sweep. Yeah. I mean, the numbers aren't on his side, but, you know, he's probably going to go in motivated. Obviously, he knows that stat. He's probably, the media's probably brought it up to him and things like that. But, I mean, if you're going to beat him, why not make it in the postseason? Other game last night, the Stars beat the Blues 4-2 to two to even that series at two games apiece. Just the first road loss for St. Louis in these playoffs. Tell you what, Jim Montgomery, if he wasn't in the conversation for Coach of the Year, he is now because prior to last night's game, took a huge risk, and he switched up his top two forward lines, and it paid off in a big way. He decided to put Tyler Sagan with Jamie Dickinson and Matt Zuccarello. Then he had Rupa Hintz, Jamie Benn, and Alexander Radilov make up the other. 
it worked in a big way. Those six players combined for nine points for Dallas last night. It was a great move by Montgomery, a risky one for a first-year head coach. But, man, it's paying off in this Stars team. They look like a new team since last night. Right, and, uh, you know, first-year head coach coming in, obviously it, it takes a little bit of risk if you want to succeed, and sometimes those things go completely how you want it to. And, and yeah, man, it, it brings a new dynamic to the team. Obviously um, the team now playing with a lot of confidence and, and you know, he'll go down as, as a legend if the, uh, Dallas is able to move forward and, and do something this year. Trying to win their first cup since 1999. Here is your stat of the day. It has to do with the Dallas Stars. Rupa Hintz scored his fifth goal of the playoffs last night. He's the first rookie to ever do so as a Dallas Star. Rupa Hintz, five playoff goals his rookie year. First time ever a Dallas Star has done that. Not the first time the franchise has done that, however. The last time a rookie in that franchise scored five playoff goals was 1983 when they were still the Minnesota North Stars, and that was Brian Bellows. Hey, shout out to him. That, that, that <laughs> seems like it's a long-standing record. Uh, you know, that's good for Dallas that they have some young guys pro- uh, producing, and obviously he's going to be important for them moving forward. Hopefully he can keep up the uh, the production. We uh, owe you a break, but let's preview tonight's games real quick. The Bruins visit the Blue Jackets. Columbus leads the series two games to one. They'll drop the puck in about three hours. Tonight will be the first time ever that the Blue Jackets play a game in the calendar month of May. It's uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. Keep trekking forward. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are jumping on that bandwagon, and I can see I can see why. It's a good story. I tell you what, I think they're going to win tonight. They are the favorite to win. If Boston won, it would be an upset. Few numbers jump out at me to make me think Columbus is going to win tonight and take a three-one series lead. They are second in all of hockey in best penalty kill. And they're second in fewest penalty minutes spent in the penalty box. Boston, by comparison, 16th in the NHL in penalty kills, so about middle of the road. And they're second to last in penalty minutes. They have the second most penalty minutes of anybody in the NHL. That's one reason that I think Columbus is going to win tonight. The other is Sergei Bobrovsky and their rock betwixt the pipes. His last 16 games, he has a record of 13-3. and three. His goals against average is 1.68, save percentage of 944, and he's got four shutouts in his last 16 games. He is playing his best hockey at the right time. Right, so you got to stay out of the penalty box and hit your shots. I mean, very simple as that. Um, It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but we'll see. Tell you what, the Sharks and Avalanche late game tonight, 10 o'clock puck drop. San Jose leads that series 2-1. to It's going to be a stereotypical offense versus defensive kind of game. Sharks offense against the Colorado defense. Uh, Matt Calvert is still listed as questionable for tonight's game. He missed game three with a lower body injury. Tell you what, it may not show up in the stat sheet, but Philip Grubauer, the Avalanche goalie, has played really well in this series. Turnovers have been Colorado's biggest. It's cliche. I mean, it translates to any sports, but you got to take care of the puck or the ball. You can't be turning it over. All right, those are game changers. You know, when you turn the when you turn it over and and the opponent's able to capitalize, those are heartbreakers. You know, those are those are tough plays to overcome. And um, go San Jose! I chose them to win the Stanley Cup. Did this you year. really? Off on, on a whim on the show. I think we when the playoffs started, I just was like hot take. Were you sweating when they were down three nothing in the third period of Game Seven? I was, <laughs> I, I was, but you know, it might it might just be it might just be my my time here. We'll see, but keep, keep it going. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant, with you. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, 
Breaking news out of the Arizona basketball program yesterday. We break that down. Plus, are the Cleveland Indians the most inept franchise in baseball? All that in your Sports Center update next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you just across the bottom of the hour on your Thursday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. Boston Celtics president Danny Ainge suffered a mild heart attack earlier this morning. He is expected to make a full recovery. More than 200 professional women's hockey players announced that they are refusing to play in any North American league this season. The players say they will sit out until, quote, they get the fair resources that professional hockey demands and deserves. And finally, two men were arrested after a robbery at a Best Buy in Sugarland, Texas. The reason they were caught? Because one of them accidentally pocket-dialed 911 during the robbery. Have you ever heard of that happening before? I mean, you couldn't even make that I mean, up. I was going to say, going into that, they must have dis- discussed worst case scenario. I don't even think that was even on the radar. <laughs> Pocket dial 911. What are the chances? By? <laughs> that sounds just awful in all the ways. <laughs> I tell you what, though, uh, that women's professional hockey boycott, they might have something there. This would be the time that it really could gain the most traction uh, because they got some big names, players who've won the Olympic gold. Uh, the U.S. League, the National Women's Hockey League, is the highest level professional hockey in America, and they added another, another team last year. The highest pro league in Canada folded, if you could believe that, hockey in Canada not making it, wow. and the American League was set to absorb two of those teams, so they would grow from four to seven in one calendar year, and now you've got these players that are not going to play. They're going to boycott it until they start getting these uh, benefits and treated like a real professional sport because I can vouch for it. It is, uh, it's, it's not a living. It's not something you can make a living on uh, playing in this North, uh, North American hockey league. Um, I interviewed with one of those teams and they couldn't strike a broadcast deal. You know, there's just not money there. The players aren't paid a living wage. So they might have some traction to this if they can really get it going. Right. And I don't think they're asking for, for too much. Um, like you said, if they're professional players, you know that takes time and energy. It's not just on ice time that mm-hmm. you're dealing with. Um, there's a lot of training that goes on to it. You know, you got to be at your peak performance and things like that. And um, like I said, if they have to be working a second job basically and try to be a professional, I mean, the quality of the hockey is gonna d- gonna dip and and things like that. So I mean, if if you're calling yourself a professional league, I feel like um, you should at least get paid a, a wage where you could you know live comfortably at least. Um, so I mean, they got a lot of things to figure out. You know, obviously there's not a lot of money in the league itself. So um, I mean, like you said, man, they have a lot of uh, kids like to call it clout. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They have a lot of players that you know have a resume, and you know, like you said, Olympic gold medalists and things like that. So uh, right now would be the time, you know, because you know they got a lot of respect in that league and and, and things like that. So uh, going to be interesting to see. I I mean, I'm for the players. Obviously, uh, you know women's hockey needs to be treated fairly i mean it, it's still a professional sport so mm-hmm. you know hopefully they can strike a deal and figure something out well i tell you what sean miller was in the news yesterday and lately that's not been a good thing shocker <laughs> yesterday in front of a jury federal prosecutors played a recording of a phone call made by former arizona men's basketball assistant coach emmanuel richardson that was from june 20th 2017 the recording claimed that arizona head coach sean miller who still is with the school by the way amidst the scandal paid star center deandre ayton ten thousand dollars a month to play for the wildcats 
it's a good deal if you're DeAndre Ayton or you're a college kid. Ten grand a month? Ten grand a month? I felt like he probably could ask for more. To be honest with you, <laughs> I mean, if I was, I mean, if I was pulling ten grand a month, I'd be okay. Make it twenty, or I'm going to Duke. Right. That's. I mean, players could have. I'm sure that kind of happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm. This happens. This mm-hmm. happens. You hate to say it, but I mean, recruiting is a, a very. It's a business almost in itself. So um, it doesn't really surprise me. I'm, I'm interested to see what Arizona does. I feel like they have to fire him. Well, they have to. You know what I mean? mean yeah. Even if there is no evidence, you you got to believe he knew something. I mean, I, I think it's a few assistants that were, you know, um, mm-hmm. dealing with families and things like that and payments and things like that. He could probably go up there and say, I had no idea what any of this was going on. There's no, like, factual evidence besides the phone calls and things like that. But if he... If he said, you know, I, I had no idea what was going on, then how do, how can you trust a guy who has no idea what's happening right under his in his own offices under his nose? You know what I mean? So yeah, either he's involved or he's clueless. Exactly, and you don't you don't want your basketball program ran by somebody who's clueless by any means. Um, part of the job as a coach is to make sure you know your organizational structure is in place and and that everything is running smoothly and, and within the rules and the guidelines. And you know, if you're just walking into your office and letting all this happen, I felt I feel like. I'm not saying he's guilty or anything, but he had to have known something. Mm-hmm. You know, players – Arizona used to be a really, really good basketball school. Then there was a little bit of down years, but then all of a sudden now they're getting, like, these big-time recruits out of nowhere again. It's a it question. I'm, I question it. I feel like he had he had to have had an idea. And, you know, anytime you're getting these conversations about paying players, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good culture. I'm with you that he needs to be terminated, but I don't think it's going to happen partly because LSU set the precedence with this. They had every opportunity to fire Will Wade, and yet they've reinstated him. And it was a different AD than the one that hired him that did it. Joe Aleva was the AD that hired Will Wade, and he retired. A secondary AD comes in, a guy who doesn't owe Will Wade anything, and reinstates him. What more do you need if you're LSU or Arizona to say that this has got to stop? It's turned into a federal case, and you know a lot of people will ask, why is this, you know, paying college athletes, why is that being made a federal case? Well, because when that money starts crossing state lines, as it has in this instance, that's where the feds are going to get involved because it becomes racketeering and what have you. And just what more do you need if you're Arizona? It's not like you're firing Coach K. I mean, Arizona's had some good teams, made the tournament quite a bit, but they've really, never made a run. Right. I mean, he's yeah, he's not one of those legendary play- or coaches. He's not firing Izzo. Um Maybe they do feel like if if they do let him go, that the the program will suffer and and money will be lost. It's all about money in my eyes, yeah. but um, obviously, but um, yeah, I just feel like at the end of the day, if you're Arizona, you have to you have to let this guy go. And the longer you wait, it's just it's just, people are raising eyebrows. Like, really, what what are your you know priorities here? I mean, there's got to be somebody better they can get. I mean, you really are afraid of not being able to upgrade from Sean Miller. I mean. I, I get he's a he's been a consistent coach, you know. They've uh, had consistent basketball there, but he's not great, and he's given your program a big black eye. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know what more Arizona or LSU need to pull the trigger, but I think they're both going to stay, and I, and I don't think that's right. No, I don't. I mean, I don't either. You know, um, it it just comes down to to money like you said it just doesn't make any sense because both of those coaches i mean yeah they have decent programs but they're not winning championships or anything like that so um you kind of just wonder where where the the university lies um and and maybe it's just a until proven guilty thing and if you don't have any actual evidence 
maybe they don't feel like they have the right to, to fire him. I don't really know. I mean, Patino lost his job, and he's got more clout than either of these two, Wade yeah, but, or Miller. Yeah, but Patino was doing some stuff. I don't know. He was doing more than just paying players. Yes, he's yes. He's bringing players to, you know, places right, they shouldn't but be. But he's got the clout. He does, got the, he does got the clout, but... Um, Patino was doing, he was like a mobster, basically. Right. You know, he was doing some really grimy stuff. I could totally believe he is in the mob. And, and he knew all about it. I mean, he didn't even deny it. He just mm-hmm. apologized. You know, Sean Miller could just be like, I didn't, I, I had no idea. I don't know what's happening here. What? I mean, he hired, I'm pretty sure this coach that was caught on, on the uh, phone is a convicted felon. Did he know about that? It's a good question. You know, like, come on, dude. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, before we go to break, are the Cleveland Indians the most inept franchise in the MLB? If they're not, they took a big step towards it last night. Corey Kluber, their two-time Cy Young winning pitcher, took a line drive back to his forearm. They took a look at him, end up putting him back in the game. They sent him back out into the game. They call it a forearm contusion. X-rays show it's a full fracture. They took their two-time Cy Young winning pitcher, told him he has a contusion, go back out there and pitch, and he finishes the game with a fractured arm. I mean, what are you doing? They've consistently taken steps back after blowing a World Series in 2016, and the Indians are doing their darndest right now to show how bad of a franchise they are. I mean, yeah, that's a huge. I mean, that's a huge risk. He's, they're lucky he didn't hurt his his arm more. In his in in the Indians' defense, uh, personal story here. I had broken my arm when I was younger. And because of all the adrenaline and things, like my arm was, it, it felt fine for most of the day when I when I had done it. It wasn't until later on in the evening that I actually realized that I had, had fractured my arm as well. Yeah, but well. these are doctors who misdiagnose him. Right, right. right. Two and times it, Cy Young Right, right. I mean, it had to have been on the fly. Maybe they felt rushed. I don't really know what was what was really happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, shame on you, doctors. <laughs> you had one job. You know, that that's that's scary, man. Especially when you're talking about one of your better pitchers. I mean, it, that doctor's got to be thankful that nothing further happened out there. Otherwise, he's liable. Yeah, his arm could have completely shattered. Who knows? <laughs> if he took another hit or, or, or something like that. So, yeah, that's kind of scary. Indians need their pitching staff to stay intact because they don't have the offense to compete anymore. Now they need that pitching staff. What was it? Uh, Trevor Bauer last year, he, was, he probably had a chance to win the Cy Young until he got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously pitching is important and... And uh, yeah, man, they got it. They got it. They got to get that figured out because you know to where that franchise was just a few years ago to now, it's just it's 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 crazy how far you know things have gone. First time in four years, they're not going to win the division because that's Minnesota's for the take. Hey, whoa, oh, hot takes. Uh, hot take. It's May second, but man, the Twins are going to do it this year. I I just know it. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you. We owe you our last time out. When we come back. Jake is our draft expert, so we waited uh, about a week for him, and he's got his draft grades. Three teams who won and lost the draft next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you. Thanks for being with us as we wind down the work day this Thursday afternoon. Well, the Brewers had an afternoon game earlier today. They were taking on Colorado, and the Rockies are able to avoid the sweep as they take down the Brewers 11-6 to this afternoon. Tigers get the day off. Well, I tell you what, Jake is our friend of the show, draft expert. He's our draft analyst. He's our now? Todd McShay. That's you. That's me. You're McShay, unless you want to be Kuiper. No, I'm going to take McShay. I figured McShay. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take McShay. So, uh... 
Yeah, we'll get you as uh, Todd McShay, and you had a chance to break down the draft, analyze it. Three teams who won the draft and three who big-time lost the draft. Who do you got? Uh, we'll start with the teams that won the draft. And this one's, you know, I hate to go with the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, they had the number one pick. Um, I think they did. The, they made the right choice by taking Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Fits in that system with Cliff Kingsbury. Um, you know, it's going to completely uh, change the outlook of that franchise. I think he's a franchise guy. You know, I don't think his transition into the league will be seamless, but I do think you, just with the tools he brings to the table, he's a pretty accurate thrower. He can throw in the pocket. And I don't know if you've seen this guy run. He's like mm-hmm. the road runner when he gets run. You can't see his legs. He's that fast. Like, this guy's quick. He's a game changer. But I really like what the Cardinals did in after that, that yeah. first overall pick. Um, you kind of look what they did. Set uh, Round two, pick number one. They got Byron Murphy, cornerback out of Washington. Some argued he was the best corner in uh, the whole draft, so you get a starting corner that's going to help that defensive side of the ball. Uh, later on in that second round, uh, this is an underrated receiver, Andy Isabella. Out of yes. I thought this guy was a lock to go to New England. Um, I'm sure the Patriots were looking at him, but this guy's you know a nice slot guy, really fast, quick. He's going to be able to work the middle, um, and, and you know he's he's productive. He, he knows what he's doing. Um, so so you're getting Kyler Murray a weapon right off the jump. Mm-hmm. Round three, pick one, Zach Allen, defensive end. Let's go right back to the defenses out of the ball. So mm-hmm. you're jumping back and forth, back and forth. Uh, underrated pass rusher, uh, you know, a guy with a high motor, um, going to be able to come back. I think he'll be productive early on. I don't know how early, but I think he'll be able to kind of add some depth to the team. Um, round four, you get Hakeem Butler. Yes. You know, this guy is, is dubbed Calvin Johnson Jr. I mean, he's that big. I think he's about 6'5". Um, a little bit raw. I think he has to work uh, on some things. Obviously, consistency with catching. But hands now, hands of stone. Hands of stone. But he, you toss it up to him, and it, when Kyler's running around, and you know he has nothing left, nothing else to do, he could just chuck it up and hope for the best. Yeah, but for round four, that is a great pickup. Yep, in round four. So now you have two receivers coming up, coming to the league with Kyler Murray. These guys are going to be able to grow, build some chemistry, um, and learn a little bit from from uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who's there. Um, and then even into round five, you get Deontay Thompson, uh, safety out of Alabama. I think he's going to be kind of like an Eddie Jackson for the Bears. You know, picked a little bit later than he he might have uh, been projected, but I think um, he's coming from Alabama. Obviously, they've had a lot of safeties come out there, um, and he's playing the best competition. I think he'll come in and, and be able to be productive. So, um, and then you know they kept adding stuff, uh, adding some guys later on. But I think those those picks right there um, kind of sealed it for me. I think they had a really good draft. Um, second team who had a really good draft, I thought the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, they always had a, do. They had a really good draft. Yeah, they didn't have a first round pick. Um, I think did they trade back? I'm not 100. I can't remember, but they didn't. Ended up not paying, uh, picking in the first round. Uh, they had the second pick in round two. They got Rocky Asin. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't really know about this guy. He comes out of Temple. He's a bigger corner, very physical, um, very athletic. Um, Going to be able to add some something to that defense because. The Colts kind of don't – they don't have a lot of holes really in, no. in their, their team. They're really looking for depth, and I think that's a, a starter right off the, the bat. Um, they ended up picking up a linebacker out of TCU uh, with pick 17 in the second round, uh, Ben Banaku. Mm-hmm. Don't know a lot about this guy, but, um, you know, he's, he's a high-motor guy. Obviously, you got Darius Leonard there. I think he's going to add to that linebacking group. I think that's a great pick. Sleeper pick of the draft, Paris Campbell, wide receiver yes. of Ohio State. This was my favorite receiver. Uh, I like Marquise Brown, but this guy was a guy that I wanted maybe Green Bay to pick up in the later rounds. Um, I think he fits perfectly with T.Y. Hilton. you got a nice solid run game there now. They've worked on their offensive line. Luck's healthy. 
Um, now you got T.Y. Hilton being able to stretch the field. This guy can catch it, catch a screen, and take it 90 yards. Um, he's that fast. He ran a 4-3 at the combine, one of the faster times we saw. I think, you know, I think that was a great pick. And then they got uh, Bobby Okrikri. I don't know if he's going to ever be known, uh, if he's going to produce a lot, but you saw Pat McAfee mm-hmm. go up there and, and give that uh, epic, you know, legendary McAfee speech. says feature Hall of Famer. He said feature Hall of Famer, so, you know, you got to believe it. So hopefully they they got that guy. So that's another line. You know, that's a linebacker they added. So that's another defensive player that, you know, they seem to be able to pick those those second, third-round linebackers pretty well. Chris so. Ballard just gets it as a GM. Yeah. He just gets the He draft. finds those diamonds in the rough. He's one of those guys that have, has just had really good good things. He, you know, I really like what Seattle did as well, um, mm-hmm. obviously trading back and getting a lot of picks. Um, some unknown guys. They got DK Metcalf later mm-hmm. in that second round. I think that was a steal. Don't know much about LJ Collier, but they like those guys with chips on their shoulders, you know, guys, just high-energy guys. I feel like they fit right into – Seattle. Um, I think Washington had a good draft. I know you were high on what the Ravens did. Um, so I mean, there was a lot. I think a lot of teams, the Buffalo Bills, you know, they got two stars, two studs on both the offensive defensive line. So I think you know, there's a lot of players. The Green Bay Packers. Yep. Some might argue that they didn't have a good draft, but they had two picks. Rashawn Gary. I mean, if he, if he reaches his potential, could be a, one of the best players in the draft. I don't think he's going to be a bust. Yep. At worst, I think he'll be serviceable. I think he'll be Nick Perry. You know what I mean? Or something like that. So I think, you know, obviously you had to hold a fill with, with Clay Matthews. And then Darnell Savage Jr., another questionable pick. But mm-hmm. I think I want to believe that, that they may, might see something a little bit different. Anytime you have the last name Savage, I'm all for. I thought there was maybe two safety that, that were better at that, at that spot. But he was a high high riser, a name that was getting a lot of traction going in. And, and you know, I think they, they got Elton, Elton Jen, Jenkins on the line. I think he's going to be able to plug and add depth to that line. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I, you know, I think they did they did good. Then they got Jay Sternberg, our tight end, who's going to be able to add some depth behind Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. So I, I really do think they they did a great job. Um, speaking of who didn't do a good job, now I don't think the Detroit Lions. I like what the Lions did with the. And I'm not just saying this because I, I I root for the Green Bay. I I really think they they nailed it with that first pick with mm-hmm. uh, Hawkinson. I thought he was a, a good player. I think he's going to be an all-pro. But after that, you, you, you reach on that linebacker out of Hawaii. I, I'm not really sure what was going on there. Um, and then I just didn't I just didn't really like I mean, I, I feel like there was better players on the board. But um, I think at that second round, you know, I think that guy was projected. I think his name's uh, Jelani, Jelani something. Tamani. Tamani yeah, mm-hmm. Tamani Jelani. Uh, Tamani. I don't really know what his name is. But he was a guy that, uh, you know, I just kind of had questions about, man. I mm-hmm. just don't think he was he should have been picked. Um, let me see here. The Houston uh, Texans, I don't think they had a really good draft. I think they kind of mm-hmm. reached um, Titus Howard. I think they kind of were drafting for need more than best player available. Mm-hmm. He comes from uh, the F- FCS, FBS school. Um, not a big school, so I don't know. I mean, that was kind of a, a reach. They got Lonnie Johnson, who's a corner. He's, he's all right. He's kind of slow, but I don't really think they had a good draft either. So you got the Lions, the Texans. Um, and then, obviously, you know all about what I'm about to say. Yep. I don't care how the New York Giants did after that first-round pick, but I just think that Daniel Jones pick was just one of the biggest reaches I've ever seen. Uh, when you have Dwayne Haskins on the board, um, you know I think J- Jones threw 52 touchdowns in his whole career. You know Haskins threw 50 in one season. Um, Jones had 29 picks. Haskins had eight. Haskins has a better completion percentage. He played at a bigger school. Um, I don't know if this was true, but I think I think Jones threw like 
just an absurd amount of picks in one game in one of his one of his games. I, I don't know how many it was, but I think it was just like an absolute absurd amount. Then it's kind of got, amazing they didn't trade up to get the guy who never beat Virginia. In never his be, I, I think it might have been against. Was it Virginia? Could it have been. It might have been against fifty nine. Someone was joking. He threw, like, he threw like nine picks in a game. I know that's that can't be right. Mm-hmm. That has to be over exaggerated. But I think I that might have been in his career against Virginia. Okay, I was gonna say, but I mean. You had a guy there compared to Haskins. It's just, it's just, it's just not, not comparable. You should have went Haskins. If you didn't go Haskins, you should have just got Josh Allen, who fell. And then maybe if you can't get Jones at seventeen, and someone picked him up, then wait till next year and just ride Eli again. Just make no sense. And then go defense again. It just, just made no sense. I like what they did. I think Baker was a good pick. Um, I think Dexter Lawrence was was a solid pick. I think he's gonna be. He's a big body, gonna uh, help that defense a lot. But I, I don't know, man. I like Bryce Love, or mm. what is it, Bryce Love? Julian Love. Julian Love from Notre Dame, your yep. guy. I think he's he was a sleeper. He's a playmaker. I, so I think they, they upgraded their, their defensive unit, their defensive backs specifically. On the big note is Janoris Jenkins might not be back after this year, too. Exactly. So, you know, they're filling those. So, you know, they did all right, but I just can't get over that Daniel Jones pick. I don't they like the Cutcliffe quarterback tree. It's I what think, produced Eli and Peyton. I think some people are saying they drafted him because Daniel Jones looks like Eli Manning. It kind of looks like like if uh, you were casting a movie about the Mannings and you wanted someone to play Eli, you'd have Daniel Jones portray right. Eli Manning. Right, and um, I don't know. There's just something about him, man. Like, even when he's walking on stage and things, like, he just looked like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and, you know, he's going to New York. That's a lot of pressure. You're coming from Duke. They're not a football school. No. Um, he has a lot of the physical abilities you want, but I, at the, the turnovers and, and the fact that he, he didn't really play in that big of games now to go to New York, it just it just doesn't feel like – I could be completely wrong. Hopefully I am. I feel bad for the kid. He's got, like, honestly, a lot of hate, and it's really not his right, fault. Right, I mean, I'm not hating on the kid. Right. I'm not hating on him or anything. But Others have, though, and that's – I mean, it's not his fault Gittleman took him exactly, number six exactly. overall, which makes me feel bad for him. Yeah, exactly. You, you kind of feel bad for him. You know, you know, he's just going to have to try to prove people wrong. Hopefully that – you know, he's one of those guys that can – that will have a chip on their shoulder to try to prove people are wrong. But in my eyes, he just looks like a bust. I mean, rewind this tape, you know, a few years from now, and, you know, Daniel Jones is a, in my eyes is going to be a bust. Hopefully uh, I'm wrong. A couple of jersey number updates. Clay Matthews not happy the Packers already reassigned Listen, Green Bay's messing up with these jerseys. You, okay. you got to leave 52 alone for a little bit. Darnell Savage should have number 21. I don't know what's going on. He's wearing 26. If you want to sell jerseys, you, you want the number 21 Savage. If anyone doesn't yes. know, he's a, he's a hip-hop artist, one of the best. 21 Savage. I think a third-string defensive back has 21. Cut the guy or tell him <laughs> to trade. his. If you want, people would buy that jersey even when you're not a Packers fan. Did 21 know? Savage get deported? He did, but I think he's like back now. Okay, I think, yeah. I, think it's, I don't really know what happened, but he would, yeah, he didn't. Have apparently, he was British. Yeah, he was. He's from Britain. Apparently, yeah. he never said anything. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know what they're doing with these numbers, man. I don't know. Uh, so Clay Matthews tweeted out, "The body ain't even cold yet." In response to Sean Gary getting fifty two. Some people didn't think. I think that was a joke, though. Some people thought he I was don't being know. serious. I'm not sure. Um, you know, maybe down the line it could get retired, but I mean. You've got to move on, bro. You wanted to leave. Joe Theismann, though, he gave Dwayne Haskins permission to wear number seven for the Redskins. Nobody's worn it on that team since the injury to Theismann, the gruesome injury almost 30 years ago. Right, and I think um, obviously him asking Theismann for the number I think is cool. Um, anytime you want to wear those important numbers if you're a player, I like that because you know you, you realize the importance of playing the numbers. You don't want to underperform. So I like him rocking the number seven. Hopefully it doesn't put more pressure on him. 
But you know, I, I like the fact that you know the the legend was able to give up the number and and let uh, hopefully uh, the new legend choose it. So that was pretty cool. Well, and you said the you thought the Redskins had a good draft. They had a great first round. They stayed steady at number fifteen. Didn't trade up. Didn't panic. They got the guy they wanted, and they got a good pick at number thirty as well. Uh, not thirty, but late in the draft. Uh, they had another great pickup. So I thought, to your point, yeah, they had a great draft. They had a great first round, particularly. With that, we are out of time. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you being here. Anything you want to plug you got going over at TV yeah, Local uh, 3? Real quick, uh, the annual 5th Annual Sports Awards um going to air May 30th. We take the best high school players, you know, boys player of the year, girls, et cetera, academic athlete, coaches of the year, teams of the year. Um, voting is open on upmatters.com. Go vote for your favorite players. Um, I, you know, we got a collection of, of players from athletic directors of who should be on there. So we have some nominees. So go over there and uh, vote for your favorite players. Uh, I think voting's open for a couple weeks. And then on the 30th, we reveal the winners. So tune in for that. That's it for us in the sports pen. Tune in tomorrow for Jake Duran. I'm Tanner Hoops on ESPN-UP.